Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. today a little bit. Um, and uh, last week, last week I shared with you my story, my story of what my wife and I went through when we first had, uh, when we had our first daughter, Kirsten. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open us in prayer, and then I'm going to share with you another passage of Scripture that the Lord really laid on my heart, gave to me during those early years to support what we talked about last week. So let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer today. If you have prayer requests, you can put those in the comments on our Facebook page or our YouTube Live page, or you can send us an email through the contact page on our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, uh, and we would love to pray for you. So let's, uh, let's look to the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray that you... Cleanse my heart of anything that is out of line with your will, that you would, Lord, uh, fill me, fill me with the presence of your Holy Spirit, that I might be a vessel of honor fit for your use, Lord, a, a vessel of peace and challenge to those that are joining us and gathering live across the, our communities and, and in some cases around the nation and the world. Lord, we pray for those that are ill this morning, uh, both from COVID-19 and, and other illnesses, Lord, that seem to be, got, be forgotten during this time. Uh, those that are struggling, Father, with cancer, those that are struggling with other serious chronic uh, illnesses, I, I pray that you would be with them during this time. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to be of a sound mind, self-controlled, Lord. Um, not trying to prove ourselves or be heroes, Lord, certainly help us to be considerate of our fellow man during this time. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, again, I want to thank you for coming, those that are here, and thank you for joining us on, online. The title of the message this morning is Cast, Cast Your Cares. Cast Your Cares. I wrote a song years ago from this passage of Scripture, and I would like to sing it to you, but I can't remember all of the lyrics, and I have no idea where I wrote them down, but I used to sing it with my kids, and it's directly taken from this passage of Scripture. If you have the Bible app, that's the Version Bible app, you can get that in Google Play or in the Apple App Store, you sign in, register for an account, you can follow our sermon online today by going to events. And you'll see Emmanuel Baptist Church right there in events. And the scriptures will come up. And there'll be some places for you to take notes. And so ultimately, 
as you go through each service, you'll build your own running commentary of these different passages of Scripture. So let's begin reading here in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, verse number 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as, as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when Christ, the chief shepherd, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, that is to say he may lift you up in due time. Here's the verse. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. This is an amazing passage of Scripture, especially during times like these. Um, last week, as I mentioned, I shared with you a passage of Scripture that, that literally changed my life, and I believe it has the power to change yours as well. In fact, I believe that the Bible is a supernatural book. It's not just a self-help book. It's not just a book that's, that's an ancient manuscript written many years ago. It's a living book empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and it can change your life. And 28 years ago, Philippians chapter 4 changed my life. And if you um, haven't yet listened to that message, I, I hope that you'll go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash hooksit, Find last week's message. It's called The Foundation of Peace. The Lord, though, the Lord didn't stop with Philippians chapter 4 in my life. And that's the, that's the awesome thing about God. He doesn't just give you something and then drop you and say, okay, good luck. Uh, I gave you everything you need. As a matter of fact, like I have had to relearn lessons that I learned 28 years ago as I've gone through my life, like I figured, hey, I've got this down, and then something else comes and need to relearn it. But God doesn't leave us there. He, and this is like the awesome thing about God is he doesn't stop interacting with us. He doesn't stop comforting us, and he doesn't stop speaking to us. He continues to be the blessing. Um, it's, it's, uh, he led me to this passage shortly after uh, the first passage in Philippians. He, he, uh, he guided me to this passage in 1 Peter. It's full of wonder. It teaches us how, how to find or know what a good pastor is. It teaches us how we, should, how we should act toward each other, how we should act toward our leaders. 
It teaches us to cast our cares upon him. And it doesn't stop with the instruction of casting our cares upon him. He tells us why we can cast our cares upon him. In fact, saying this to God, I don't think is, is out of line. Prove it. Prove it. When you read the New Testament scriptures, there are all sorts of places where God is stepping up to the plate to say, I will. I will prove it to you. That's why he names towns and he names certain times and places and people and events because he wants us to know that we can trust his word and we can trust him. So getting to the first point I mentioned is that this passage of scripture teaches us that, that we can know and learn how to look for and how to see what a good shepherd or a good pastor, good elder might be, what their role is. And during this time of distress, I think that the role of the shepherd and the church, they seem to become even more important. I, of course, being a pastor and a church attender for many, many years, would say that it's always been this important. It just seems more so now. Um, However, when we, when, we, when we look at a pastor and we're looking for a church, and many of you might be doing that now, and I'm not going to say, hey, come to Emmanuel. Well, yeah, I am. Come to Emmanuel. Um, and I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I'm going to say I take the scriptures seriously when they teach about the office of pastor, shepherd, elder. That's me. When he says not being lords over God's heritage or not lording over those that have been trust, entrusted to you, He's teaching us pastors that we are to be gentle, and at times, yes, we are to challenge and confront and rebuke, but we must always do it with this, this love and this grace, right? And we must always do it willingly, not by constraint. In other words, if you're a pastor because you feel like your, your hands are tied and you have to do this, you need to get your heart right because it should be something that you want to do. Now, in the beginning, when God started to challenge me with being a pastor, um, I really struggled with that. And God transformed my heart so early on that I had this willingness, this desire to please Him and to follow Him into the ministry. As a matter of fact, in, uh, I know that I shared our stream on my Class of 88 Pinkerton Academy Facebook page. If you guys dare to look at our yearbook, the last one, Please don't look at my picture, but I'm like fine wine or cheese, like get better with age. Um, you'll see that in the superlative section that I wrote, my, my goal, my, my life's goal is to marry Trisha Borneville and to serve Jesus Christ, something like that. And I, I can attest to the fact that both of those came true. Like Trisha, I started dating her when we were 16 and she's sitting here with me today and and we've been through a lot together, and God blessed our union. And then I finally followed God into ministry. And you want a pastor who wants to be a pastor. You want a pastor who, who loves to lead people, loves to sit down and, and shepherd people. Now, he tells us that, that pastors are not only supposed to want to do these things, but they're supposed to be examples to the church and to the community at large. This is a tall order. You're supposed to be this example. And I started to, I started to ask that question. What, what does that mean, be an example? Does that mean that I have to be perfect? Because um, not perfect. Like, I'm not reaching that mark. What does it mean to be an example? And I started really thinking about it. It's this, that we are not the example of perfection. We're the example of how to, 
how to live imperfectly in an imperfect world by doing this, right? Like, we should be practicing what we preach, but we should also be sharing with people like, hey, I struggle too, and this is how I struggle. Like, this is what my relationship with God looks like, and this is what happens when I don't measure up. When I'm struggling with anxiety or I'm struggling with fear and cares, this is what I do. And ultimately, a good pastor is going to be a pastor that is pointing to the perfect one. Now, I don't know which side of the screen that slide is on. Over here. Pointing to the perfect one. That's ultimately, like, this is what a pastor should do. He says this uh, in the beginning of this passage. Peter says, I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Well, that was Peter. I mean, Peter lived 2,000 years ago. He hung out with Jesus. He denied Jesus, right? When Jesus was crucified, Peter was one of his best friends and actually kind of turned his back on Jesus, started to cuss and swear, I don't know him, who he, I don't even know who you're talking about, flipped out. And then at the end of that, Jesus restored him. So Peter literally saw Jesus die on the cross, saw the cruel torture that he endured before the cross, saw the ridicule, saw the, the trial that was a sham. He witnessed the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So he was there. But I want to share with you that any pastor who is a called of God pastor, and in fact, anybody who says they are a Christian, they truly have placed their faith in Jesus, you are a witness too. I'm a witness to the person of Jesus. He is alive in my life. He is a living reality. He's not just an idea. He's not just a religion. He is a person, and although I cannot physically see him, I can see him with spiritual eyes, and I can interact with him, and I can pray, and I can know that he is present, and my prayers are being answered. This is one of those things, Emmanuel, that I was talking about at the end of last year that is going to be transformative in the life of our church. And those of you that are watching online, this could be transformative to you to be a witness to the living Christ, not of his physical life 2,000 years ago, but of his spiritual presence right now, right here. And it's not just when two or more are gathered together in my name, there he is in the midst. It is every day of your life, all the time, you can be a witness of Jesus. And so, as a pastor, though, this is what I'm supposed to point to. This is what my example is, is that Jesus is the one and only that you can trust and rely on for the salvation of your eternal soul and the empowerment of your present life. I can attest to what he has done for me and to what he has meant to me. He says, cast your care upon him for he cares for you. Here's the prove it moment. Here's the prove it moment. His life for mine. I want you to think about this. God is saying that you can cast your care on him because he cares for you. I want you to prove it to me. God, prove to me that you love me because I've been through some pretty hellacious things in my life. And honestly, we're going through kind of a hellacious time, aren't we? We're, we're, we're stay at home. I was talking to our worship team like, Members of my family, some of them are sort of um, introverts, and staying at home is not really killing them. And then others, like my wife, uh, not really that stay-at-home kind of person. Like, 
Trisha is probably going to lose her mind by the end of the two weeks. Probably in a good way, maybe. Um, but, huh? Oh, Trisha's essential personnel, so she can get out of the house. So she's like, woo, woo. So um, anyways, uh, we're, we're going through a difficult time now, and we can say to God, prove it. How, how, do you, how do you love me? How do you care for me? And I remember many years ago when I was dealing with this trial with my, my eldest daughter, I asked God how he could say he loved me and yet allow me to suffer. How he could say that he loved me but not fix this. And I think that's something that a lot of people are going through even right now. And we are going to see sickness come into our church and we are going to see people, and we've already seen some people in our state lose their lives if not to COVID-19, to something else. We, we've had a number of members of our church deal with the suffering of cancer, a deal with a, a chronic illness like diabetes, childhood diabetes. Um, we've seen folks suffer with Crohn's disease, which some of you may not know what that is, but it is almost debilitating at times. And so I think saying prove it, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a bad question when you're going through things that, really make you wonder, do you love me, God? And his answer is, I gave my life for you. I gave my life for you. His life for mine. Turn to your Bibles or go on your apps to Isaiah chapter 52. This is God's prove it moment. Behold my servant, and he's talking about Jesus here. This passage of scripture is actually a prophecy that was written about 200 years I'm sorry, 700 years before Jesus was born. Isaiah was a royal prophet. He was something of a big deal. And the book of Isaiah is, is often considered the crown jewel of the Old Testament. It's an amazing, amazing, large and deep book. And here is one of the most powerful prophecies in Isaiah. He's going to talk about Jesus and what he did for us. My servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. What he's referring to there is Jesus' death on the cross and his torture before going to the cross. What they did to Jesus before they crucified him was they beat him brutally across his entire body. They particularly beat him in the head and shoulders. They physically tore out his beard. And if you've ever seen a boxing match and you've seen the aftermath of a boxing match and you see their faces swollen and their eyes shut, and in this case, that's the picture of Jesus, but in addition to that, his beard has physically been ripped out of his face and he's covered with blood. And this is what that's referring to is that his visage was marred more than any man. He was almost irrecognizable. He was beaten literally to a bloody pulp. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For, for what, had been, what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. And, and and he goes on, he says, who shall, who shall believe our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, Jesus, shall grow up before him, God, 
as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And, and, we, uh, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. So he's talking about Jesus as basically when he was born of Mary and he grew up, God the Father was observing his growth and in him, he didn't see a movie star, right? Jesus was not Henry Claville. He was not the beautiful painting of the feminine Jesus that you see on the walls with the gorgeous skin, like the olive complexion, right? Jesus was like the average everyday guy. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me, right? He was like an everyday guy kind of individual. And if you saw him, you would walk right by him. So the compelling thing about Jesus was not superficial. There was something deeper that compelled people to follow him and to notice him. And that deeper thing was that he was God in the flesh and he was living a perfect sinless life. He goes on, he is despised now and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs, And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But notice what it says. He bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, and yet when we looked at him and we saw the grief and the sorrow in him, we figured it was his own fault. The reality is it was not his sorrow, it was not his grief, It was ours, but he was wounded for our transgressions. That word is a big, giant word, and it means those areas of God's law that we broke. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That simply means sin. Those things that are morally corrupt, the perversion of God's good gifts to us, whether it's our language or our behavior or our thoughts, right? He was bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgression. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the sin, the iniquity, of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And when you read the story of the crucifixion and the judgment of Christ, he did not open his mouth to defend himself at all. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation Here's the crucifixion as he hung on the cross and he cried out, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost. Who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord God to bruise him He has put him, God has put his son himself in the flesh, Jesus, to grief. And when you and I make Jesus' soul an offering for our sin, God shall see Jesus' seed and shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and God the Father will be satisfied with the sacrifice of God the Son. He shall see the labor of his soul and shall be satisfied 
And by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. And he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. transgressors. So, one of the things that the elder in the church is supposed to do is supposed to point to Jesus. And when we talk about casting our care upon him, the second part of that phrase is because he cares for you. And this is the biggest prove-it moment in the entire Bible. He cares for us so much that he took our place and he paid the penalty for our sin. The other thing a pastor is supposed to do is protect the church from false doctrine. And right now we're living in a crazy time where many people are going online to find their spiritual nourishment and find spiritual truth. And unfortunately, there's some false doctrines going around saying that God, listen, that God will make you healthy, wealthy, successful, wise. It's called the prosperity gospel. And they'll take this passage of Scripture and they'll rip it out of context and they'll say, by his stripes you are healed. If you just had enough faith in Jesus, your illnesses would be healed. That has nothing at all to do with the context of this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to break it down for you because I think it shows you just how much God cares for you and what's important. When he's talking about by his stripes, we are healed. When he's talking about being bruised for our iniquities, he's talking about being smitten for our transgressions. He's talking about woundings and griefs and sorrows and afflictions and chastisements. The healing that he is talking about is the healing of condemnation that is already in us. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you may not yet feel the stripes. And when he says stripes, he's not talking about stripes or plaid. He's talking about stripes as in cat of nine tails, whips, shredding your flesh and your muscle and your sinew. He's talking about what Jesus went through, right? When we don't know Jesus, before we come to Jesus as our Savior, listen, this is what the Bible says. I, I'm, I'm going to just share it with you right here. John chapter 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be lifted up. For whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved, here's his carry, so loved the world, so cared for the world, that he gave his only begotten Son. We just read about his brutal torture. That whoever believes on this person, Jesus, whoever trusts in him, that's what the word believes means. It means to rely upon. You ever hear that? Hey, man, I believe in you right? Um, should not perish but have everlasting life. We love to stop there, but here's the rest of the story. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Not everyone in the world is saved yet. Not everyone in the world is saved right now, and you might be listening to me right now, and you may not yet be saved. In other words, you may still have the penalty of your sin upon you, because the very next verse says this, he who believes in Jesus, him, is not condemned. That's good news. But he who does not believe, who is not wholly relying upon Jesus Christ, is condemned 
already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Okay, so, so this is what, I'll well, finish this passage. And this is the condemnation that light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So this is where we talk about his life for mine. That, that when Jesus died on the cross, the healing that he's providing is the healing of the chastisement of God that is already upon us. We are already condemned before we come to Jesus. So when he talks about, by his stripes you are healed, he's literally talking about the healing of the penalty that we are under. You have a bruising in your spirit. You have stripes in your spirit. You have sorrow and grief in your spirit before you come to Jesus. That's the healing that he's talking about. Time would escape me to go on and, and show you in Scripture how many saints actually suffered and died in the faith and didn't receive prosperity. How many amazing believers in Christ lived their life in sickness and their faith would, would put to shame most of our faith. And the reason they lived in suffering was they were called to it from God. Does God still heal today? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're ill, you should pray for God to heal you if it's His will. But that is not the measuring stick of whether He loves and cares for you. No, the ultimate measuring stick was that he took your place, and he is willing and able to heal the condemnation that is in your soul right now. That's the prove it moment. The only way that we could be healed of our sin, of our iniquity, of our transgression, is if someone that was perfect and holy took our place and offered to us his soul in exchange for ours. That's what Jesus did, and that's why I love that phrase, his life for mine. You can see that also in the book of Romans. It's a powerful passage, his life for mine. So we understand that in the New Testament, that without believing in, relying on, and trusting in Jesus, we are already condemned. We are already destined for wounds and stripes and chastenings and griefs and sorrows from the Lord. And this is why Jesus came. Not to defeat cancer on earth, not in our lifetime, though he does heal. Not to provide financial prosperity, though in some cases he does. But to provide for us relief from the penalty of our sin to give us his life. So that when God looks at us, we can be forgiven. It's a beautiful exchange. Matter of fact, one of my closest pastor friends, the name of his church is the Great Exchange Church. Boy, it's the greatest exchange you will ever make is his life for yours. Is his life for yours. So here's the question. Do, do you know him? Do you know him? When we come to know Jesus personally, not religion, but Jesus, when we cry out to Jesus and ask him to forgive us of our sins, when we make his, off, his soul an offering for our sin to the Father, the Bible says we are saved from the penalty of our sin, we are assured of a place in heaven with him. 
right? And we become the children of God, something that we weren't before. Do you know him? Do you know him? This is how you can come to know him right now. At this moment, turn your heart to God and ask him to be your savior, to forgive you of your sin. Believe in your heart that what was prophesied of Jesus 700 years ago, uh, 700 years before his birth was accomplished at his death and it is available through his resurrection to you and I. If you believe that and you're sick of this sin and you want to be relieved of the grief and the sorrow of your soul that is brought about by your sin, you want to be relieved from those stripes, listen man, turn to Jesus and trust in him. Trust in him. It will change your life. Now, although God might call you to suffer, what happens is once you've come to Jesus to be your Savior, he suffers with you. He carries the burden with you. And there's times where we wrestle with him and we're like, no, I can carry it. And he's like, dude, I told you, come unto me. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Take mine. I'll take yours. That's what we're talking about. When you know Jesus, those things are realities in your life. I was recently sharing with someone who was really struggling and they, they didn't want to unload on me. They didn't want to come to me because they knew that my wife and I have certain burdens right now and that we're, we're in the middle of a, a, a tremendous struggle. And I said, listen, man, whether it's 500 pounds or 600 pounds, it's still heavy. The beauty is Jesus is carrying the burden with me. So it's okay for you to add yours to mine. That's fine. Matter of fact, it's biblical. We're supposed to share our burdens. We're supposed to, supposed to carry them with each other. And the reality is, if we're walking with him, he carries them with us. On October 7, 1987, I placed my trust in Jesus Christ. I wasn't always saved. I didn't always know Jesus. There was a time where I was under the condemnation of God. But on Friday night, in October... I bowed my head and my heart and I cried out to Jesus to forgive me of my sin. Have you? Have you? This is how we know that He cares for us. Once we've established that, that His care for us is unquestionable, that you now have a relationship and I hope I hope if you're watching with me and you've never had that moment that you have right now this morning had that moment where you, you have recognized that Jesus loves you and wants to be your Savior and you've cried out to God to forgive you of your sin, to make you His child in the name of Jesus. Now you're experiencing the love of God on a whole other level. And you can confidently cast your care upon Him. Because he does care for you. He has proven his care by dying on the cross. And no matter the suffering, confusion, or care, we can cast it on him. So how do we do that? How do we cast our care on the Lord? I shared with you a moment ago that someone called me the other day, or I called them, combination and they started to share with me their burden. Well, the Bible says that when you're a believer, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. And when we share our cares with each other, that is one of the means that God has given us to cast our cares upon Him.
stiff upper lip, pretending everything is okay. It's not really the way to go, guys. Honesty, transparency, recognizing when you need something and someone, that's true strength. And that's the gift from God. When we're carrying a burden and it seems too heavy for us, the reason is we are not casting it upon Jesus. And we're just trying to carry it on ourselves. And folks, when you're doing that, you are not a good testimony to the world around you. If you're a Christian and you're just trying to bear up and you're going to carry this load by yourself and everybody sees you crumbling under the load, you're not being a good testimony. Because the reality is Jesus has surrounded you with friends and family that know Him, that are inhabited by His Spirit, that you can share your burden with. That's the practical way of, of casting our care. The spiritual way, the, 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 ethere, the ethereal way is in prayer. Because not only do we have the advantage of one another's, right? And the Bible teaches us to bear each other's burden, but we also have this spiritual advantage of a relationship with Jesus where we can go to him directly and we can say to him some things that maybe we just don't have the confidence to say to anybody else. A young lady was sharing with me, uh, gosh, time is going by a few weeks ago. She was sharing with me that she was angry because a loved one had passed away. And she had carried this anger in her heart for months. And I said, well, have you prayed about it? She said, no, because I don't want God to be mad at me for being angry about this. She was a young girl. Um, and I said, oh, listen, sweetheart, he is not afraid of honest prayers. He is not afraid of honest prayers. And his love for you will be unaffected by your anger, and by your confusion. And the best thing you can do is bring that to him. And that was her cry, was, God, why did you take my loved one? Why would you let this happen? And I want to I counsel you this morning. Say it to him. Bring it to him. Cast it upon him. There are some that misinterpret this verse of casting your cares upon him as living a carefree life without caution and preparedness. I'm thankful I remembered my gloves today. Casting your care upon Jesus doesn't mean being an idiot. That's not nice. And yet it's true. Um, it doesn't mean being foolish. It doesn't mean being reckless. It means living without the burden. Right? It means taking the advice and counsel of friends and family, in this case our government, but not allowing that to drag us down into this spiral of never-ending fear and worry. So I want to challenge you this morning to cast your care upon him. He will care for you. He has proven His care by going to the cross for you 
And then he, he proves it day by day as he did for me in giving us more scripture and deeper understanding. He started with Philippians for me and then he led me to 1 Peter chapter 5 and later he led me to 1 Corinthians where he taught us that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the glory of God might be revealed through our flaws. It's an amazing thing how he continues to walk with us moment by moment by moment. And here's the way I was mentioning a moment ago, we cast our cares upon him. He, he specifically says this, knowing this, that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. What is he saying there? I put it on the screen. You are not alone. You're not alone. There is tremendous comfort when you come to realize that you are not alone. Even the world has recognized this need for companionship in suffering. They have um, grieving groups. They have groups of people, parents of children with disabilities. There are groups that have been established all over the country for a myriad of different types of sufferings because the world has realized what the Scripture taught us 2,000 years ago. That one of the greatest weapons against worry and despair is community. Is recognizing the truth that you're not alone. You're not alone. When Trish and I would go to the mall or we're you know, at an amusement park or something, and we had Kirsten, and she was little in her cool little wheelchair, and we're wheeling her around. Once in a great while, we would run into someone with another child like ours. And the instant connection, I cannot explain to you. And neither can I explain to you the comfort that came with realizing that we were not alone. And those of you suffering right now, whatever it might be, you can cast your care on him because he went to the cross to prove his care for you. And then he gave you brothers and sisters who suffer with you and will walk with you. He says this, after you have suffered for a little while, after you have suffered for a while, you will become perfected, in other words, mature, established, you become strengthened, and ultimately settle. This is a beautiful thing. The more trials and tribulations I go through, and the more I learn to cast my care on Him, and the more I learn to take advantage, in a good way I mean, of my brothers and sisters and not try to have that stiff upper lip, the more I recognize casting my care upon Him means at times casting it upon my brothers and sisters. The more settled I become stronger I become and the more of a blessing I can become to those who are around me so cast your care upon him I shared some of my story last week it's through suffering that we're established strengthened and settled when we look back at what God has brought us through it gives us courage to continue on when suffering knocks at our door again so I want to end with this. Cast your care on Him. Trust Him. 
He gave his life for you. He proved it to you. If you have trusted Jesus today, I hope that you'll go over to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, and you'll connect with us on that page and share a message. I trusted Jesus the morning of March 29th. Share that with us so we can celebrate with you and connect with you and maybe begin a relationship where we can answer questions and help you carry some of your burdens. Church, keep on keeping on. Be the light in the darkness. Be the courage where there's weakness. Get out there on your Facebook pages. If you're essential personnel and you're out in the world, be the blessing to people. Show them that there is something in your life that gives you meaning, purpose, and comfort that is greater than anything this world can throw at us. Hey, all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.